You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, December 8th, and we're going to look back at what was a tumultuous season on the gridiron for Virginia Tech football. Also look at some new coaching and player news from the football program, and we will take a look at these two upcoming basketball games for the Hoops team against Cornell tonight and Dayton on Sunday. All of that and much more coming up on episode 215 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you into episode 215 of the Tech Sideline podcast. However, you are listening, whether that's archived on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or if you are on our YouTube channel, make sure if you are on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe to the Tech Sideline YouTube channel. And if you are live in the stream, be sure to leave a question or comment for Will and Chris. We'll get to those with Katie at the end of the show. As always, the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. The wrestling season in full swing. Two big wins over the weekend on the road against Northern Iowa and Missouri. You can help continue to grow that and bring Olympic hopeful athletes to Blacksburg. Please visit southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. On episode 215 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, usual Wednesday crew on set. Will Stewart, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com across the way <laughs> to my right. It is Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist to my excuse me, to my right. I've got that already. Katie Adams in the fourth chair once again, does a great job every time. Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, our best podcast producer in the <laughs> land. And I'm Jake Lyman, your host, who can't get words out of his mouth today. Lot to go over in this episode of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Main focus is going to be looking back at the football season. A weird year for this team. Started strong, ended with Justin Fuente being removed from his position as head coach. We will get to that in this first half of the podcast. But first, we've got a little bit of a news roundup to go through with the football program. And the big news over the last couple of days, a defensive coordinator has been hired by Brent Pry, and that is Chris Marv, the former Florida State linebackers coach. Thoughts on the hires so far, guys? Um, We don't know. Yes, he's, his title is defensive coordinator. Um, what we know about Brent Pry is I think he's very focused on running his own personal defense. Uh, so he was never he was not going to go out and hire some $1.5 million defensive coordinator because then that guy would be bringing in his own defense. See, I thought he was, but you're right. He's uh, not going to. Right, right. I mean, Brent Pry – like, he's been a long-time defensive coordinator. He's going to run the defense that he wants, so he's going to hire coaches who know how to run his own defense. Um, so the hires he's made 
make complete sense in that regard. And he said at his, at his press conference that, you know, he's going to give up defensive play calling duties at some point, and he doesn't know whether that's going to be after the spring or if it's going to be after the first season or when. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I think he, he's hiring coaches that know how to coach his defense. Uh, and when he feels like Marv is ready to, to actually take over the play, play calling, he'll turn it over to him. But, I mean, I don't think it's any secret that Pry is going to be very involved in defensive game planning on a week-to-week basis. He's going to be just as much a defensive coordinator as, as anybody else on that staff. Yeah, so so <clears throat> I've had my head in other areas. What's the connection between Marv and Pry? He played where, for Pry at, Pry at Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt yeah. right? And coached under him for at least a year or two there yeah. before Pry went to Penn State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so liked what he saw back then. And, and there's always those players. Uh, I remember uh, I was talking to my buddy Richie Davis about Mike Young because Richie and, and Mike Young went to high school together at Radford High. Mike was Richie and I are the same age, and Mike was a couple years older than us. And we had this whole conversation about, I just assume Mike Young, since he's such a good basketball coach, would have started for his high school team, right? No, but he was he was like a backup. And I was like, Richie, Mike, Mike didn't even start. And Richie said, he did not. But the thing about Mike, like even back in high school, he was always the grown-up in the room. You always knew he was going to be a coach. So I think Pry probably saw some of that same stuff in Marv, saw him as a player, and thought that's a guy that looks like a future coach. And Marv Young, first-time defensive coordinator, just 32 years old. Uh, and you would think even if he did bring in his own defense or his own philosophy, it'd be pretty similar to Pry's. Yeah. You play under him and you you get your coaching start under him. You'd think it's pretty similar philosophies. You know, uh, you, you see some similar similarities in Pry's defense to Bud Foster's as far as the types of defensive linemen he likes to recruit. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different going from – Justin Hamilton's schemes to prize scheme as far as like how the defensive linemen are used I think this is my basic understanding of the defense without doing heavy 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 research is that as far as the upfront stuff goes it's going to be a little more Bud Foster than it was Justin Hamilton so and Pry his first coaching job really was a GA under under Bud Foster right so imagine that you know you're a young impressionable coach and you learn a lot of uh of your future philosophies from from that first guy you coached under. And that would be Pry for Marv. Marv also coached, we mentioned when the Pry hire was made, Pry recruited Zach Cunningham and Oren Burks, both to Vanderbilt, both NFL players. Cunningham actually got cut today uh, from the Houston Texans. Uh, But Marv was the one who developed those guys as the linebackers coach. So, Again, looking at the possible player development standpoint of this mm-hmm. hire, it seems like oh, he's yeah. had a pretty good resume. I, I think so. I mean, you get a couple of NFL players from Vandy, right? I mean, Oren Borks is from the state of Virginia. Yep. And went to Vanderbilt and developed into an NFL player there, and, there, and now he plays for the Packers. Um, yeah, so I think, I think Mark seems to be a good player developer. The Florida State linebackers got better. After he arrived, Florida State fans are complaining that he only signed three-star linebackers. Yeah, that he doesn't recruit. Well, well, while they were sitting around, you know, getting the butts kicked for several years with a bunch of five-star linebackers. So it's all about development and culture to me. Uh, That's what Florida State's missing, not five-star linebackers. So uh, to to draw a parallel, as as we were talking about Marv only being 32 years old, I thought, well, how old was Bud Foster when he became defensive coordinator? Bud was born in 1959, so he became – Co-DC in 1995, mm-hmm. I believe. So he would have been 36. 36. So a little bit older than Marv. And like Marv, Bud was a linebacker's coach, you know, before he was a defensive coordinator. 
Now, he did get to learn at the at the feet of uh, Phil Almasian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, Frank Beamer's Frank Beamer. I'm sure he taught Bud a lot of things. But I think Bud's career really took off when Phil Almasian came through here. And it seemed to be that Bud picked everything up from him. And he was co-DC with Rod Sharpless That's in right. 1995. And then uh, Sharpless, Sharpless I, I like to call it, committed career suicide by going to, to Rutgers, mm. which seemed like an okay move at the time. But then, yeah. then Rutgers became one of the first, one of the worst teams in college football, yeah. along with Temple over the next few years. And Bud became full-time DC in 1996. So he would have been 37, not a whole lot older than Marv and less well-traveled. You know, he was, he coached under Frank, uh, mm. played under Frank and coached under Frank. And that was know? it. And he turned out to be a great DC. So, you know, uh, um, I think this all makes sense, what you're saying about him not hiring an established guy who's set in his ways, doesn't want the head coach looking over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And the age thing, you know, um, it's we've, we've had a great defense coordinator who wasn't all that old when he became the D.C. Yeah, a lot of guys get coordinator jobs young these days. Yep. You know, the Jim Leonard guy at Wisconsin was, I want to say, 33 or 34 when he got yeah. that, that coordinator job. It's, so it's just – it's it's – I think we pay attention to it more these days because you can just look these guys age up on Wikipedia. We've got all the information <laughs> right at our fingertips. Um, but, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm guessing plenty of young guys have gotten coordinating jobs before, back in the day, back before you could just look it up. Yeah, and, and it's just like recruiting where you can see the stars and the rankings, but you can't see all the other stuff. Yeah. You can look at a guy's Wikipedia entry and see – where he's been and what he's done, but you can't see all the other stuff. And I think Marv is Marv. I, th- I think Pry's going to be very hands-on with the defense. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's going to dedicate a lot of his monetary resources that have been provided to offensive coaching, is what it seems like from the outside looking in. So that's the next logical step you take mentally is okay if he's hiring a staff, a defensive staff that he's going to develop. What's he going to hire on the offensive side of the ball? And you have a first-time head coach, first-time defensive coordinator. Do you think he looks for a little more experience on the offensive side? You would hope, you know. Um, I mean, at certain positions. Um, uh, some of the names we're hearing floating around is like Tyler Bowen, who was a co-offensive coordinator at Penn State. He's now with Urban Meyer on the Jaguar staff. Um, uh, we've even heard Joe Brady mentioned. We even yeah. heard Holman Wiggins mentioned. Right. And uh, the thing is, like, I don't know if any of those guys would be, like, full-fledged OC. I could see a co-offensive coordinator thing with a co-offensive coordinator who's, like, running game coordinator and another passing game coordinator. And, and we've seen that more often, not only in college, in the NFL, too. You have those two guys who run the two different aspects of the offense separately. Yeah, yeah. You know, and a guy like, you know, he's obviously familiar with Brady. Uh, my concern with Brady is... You know, he was at LSU for one year, and he was there. He wasn't even their offensive coordinator. He was their passing game coordinator and their wide receivers coach. And he and he was in that position for one year when they had the best quarterback of the decade in, in college football. And two and he, generational wide receivers. Exactly. And they, le- yeah. and he, they leveraged that into an NFL coordinator job and didn't last very long there. He's only 32 years old. Uh, and, and I don't, I'm not even concerned about the age. It, it, it's just like there's not much of a resume there. Like – He's only been – like, he was never even a coordinator until he got to the NFL, which is wow. insane to think about. Yeah. Uh, or he's not, not a full-fledged coordinator. Um, I, I would actually love a co-coordinator deal um, w- with a guy like Holman Wiggins running the passing game. And uh, – oh, gosh, what was the other guy's name? I'm totally blanked. The Penn State 
the Jacksonville. Tyler Bowen. Jacksonville. Tyler Bowen, yeah, right. with Bowen uh, doing the running game. Right. Um, Bowen is an elite mid-Atlantic recruiter. And, and Wiggins is also an elite recruiter. Uh, oh, okay. I'll take him. Uh, like, I, like, like, I <laughs> you think, talked me into it. No, no, we talked last week on this show about when you give when you give the head coach a certain amount of money and people want to see some names in there, right? You don't want to just hire your buddies and just give them big salaries, right? That's not what people want to see. Um, I, I, th- I sense that there is some concern that that's happened to a certain extent on the defensive side of the ball. And I, I understand. I that. think that's fair. Uh, yeah, and uh, I, I think I think I think Derek Jones is a very very good coach, and I I, I expect he had other offers. Um, I if Ryan Smith remains on the staff, Virginia Tech will have had to outbid other teams because he has multiple offers. Is my understanding. So right. so the and and we don't even know that Quinn is actually going to be a coach yet, right? He could be like some super analyst role. It's right. it's possible because um, Quinn was only making like ninety thousand like, dollars a year. Yes, right? yeah, at Savannah State. So so we'll see. I mean, just let the staff fill out completely before you judge it. But you know, I I think that's okay on the defensive side of the ball where Pry himself is going to have such a heavy influence. Yeah. Um, I I do think it's appropriate to spend on the offensive side of the ball, and I I don't want to spend on just anybody just for the sake of spending. But you know, if 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 you want Bowen, and he's in the NFL, you can afford him now. I mean, quite frankly, NFL teams cannot outbid college teams for coaches anymore. As crazy as as crazy as that as that sounds. Yeah. And you mentioned Joe Brady. I want to look at. Uh, we'll maybe take a shot at UVA here because it looks like they're in deep talks to hire Tony Elliott as their new head coach. Would it be a similar situation there? Tony Elliott had a lot of success with first-round picks on his team, mm-hmm. but once you take those away, it yeah. becomes a little bit tougher. Uh, well, you know, Clipson's offense got better as the season went on. By, by the end of the season, they were they were rolling pretty well. Uh, still not quite at the efficiency levels that we've seen in the past. But the thing about Tony Elliott is he's being hired for a different role. He's not being it's, hired to be the offensive coordinator. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah, he's hired, being hired to be the head coach. Um so to me, like his resume doesn't change, at least as, as in my eyes. Um, but Brady, I, I agree. Brady would be splash. Like that would that would it's ex- a big name. That would excite people because he's a guy that people have talked about, and and they've talked about him during a national championship game before that LSU was won. But quite frankly, his resume is barely uh, exists. And, and he was the guy to hire after that national championship run because everybody right. wants to find the, the Sean. Hot, it was McVay. the hot. It was it was the hot name. Yeah. It was the it was the style hire instead of the substance hire. The young and offensive I, coach. Is and I'm and I, I and I'm not saying that he's not a good coach. I don't know whether he is or not. Um, there's just not enough evidence either yeah. way. I mean, he was at LSU for one year, with the, with the best players in the country available to him, and then he went to the NFL and got fired. Like I I. Not going to hold the NFL thing against him because the NFL is a completely different job than, yeah. than college, completely different circumstances. Um, so I doubt he's as bad as Carolina Panthers fans say he is. I also doubt he's as good as what people said about him at, at LSU. The bottom line is there's, he just hasn't been coaching long enough for there for there to be enough evidence. So so let me let me give Tech fans something to think about it. So you're a Tech fan, you're sitting out there saying. Okay, so we've got a million and a half dollars, maybe maybe the very top end. We've got somewhere between a million 
and a million and a half dollars to go hire an offensive coordinator. That's a good salary to go get a good established offensive coordinator. Well, there's more to it than just that. A good established offensive coordinator is going to have other options. And he's already got a job. In your price (laughs) range, right? (laughs) So what he's going to start asking himself is what, what any coach asks himself. If I go into that situation, will I do well? Can, can I compete and look good? Or in, in the case of a head coach, can I go win football games? In the case of a coordinator, will I have the tools at my disposal where the things that I'm trying to implement can actually be executed? Can I? And that is getting to be, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm going to say things you don't want to hear. Who's the quarterback? Uh, could be Braxton Burmeister. He misses a lot of time with injuries. Okay, how's the offensive line? We're rapidly disappearing one by one to either the transfer portal or bowl opt-outs or NFL dreams. Oh, what you got at wide receiver? Mm, guys who transfer out a mile a minute. So this is – you can't just throw money at people and they'll say, sure. You know, you right. have to show them right. that the situation – Yeah, yeah, because this is in. a bad enough situation with personnel on offense that, like, they could get fired. Like it might be, it's gonna it might be a multi year rebuild job and people aren't very patient these days. Yeah. So you take the wrong job, you get fired. Let me tell my Scott Leffler story. Um, Leffler's been gone long enough that I, I can tell this story. But yeah, he was telling us off the record one time that you know he was all excited to get the Auburn offensive coordinator job. Oh, I'm an offensive coordinator in SEC school. Woohoo! So he goes into the very first workout and sees his quarterbacks throw the ball, and he went home and told his wife, and he was like, yeah, don't make any friends because we're not going to be here very long because we're all going to get fired because we don't have a quarterback who can throw the ball. Yeah. Right? Uh, so it's very – he turned out to be right, correct? Correct, absolutely. And uh, and then the, guess what? He ended up here, and look at the personnel he inherits it here. Yeah. So – uh, not not to mention that if you're an offense coordinator, you're coming into this position with a first-time head coach mm-hmm. who is a defense-oriented right, coach. Right. So you are you are the guy on the offensive side to, of the ball. To me, if yeah. I was an offensive coordinator, uh, it's, yes, pay me a good salary, of course. I'd be more interested in the length of the contract. And I don't want a one-year deal. Um, I don't even think I'd settle for a two-year deal. Like, I, it's such a rebuild job that I would prefer a three-year deal. If I if I were a prospective candidate, I think that is reasonable. That used to be, correct me if I'm wrong. Most assistant coaches were like one year contracts. I, I thought what gave Virginia Tech an advantage in the past they is they used to give their assistants. They two did year two year contracts, contracts when, yeah. when Frank was the head coach. And yeah. It, yeah, I don't know. That's up. That's up for Wit that's and Brent to Pry to figure out. Yeah, and that is a tough sell to make to a possible offensive coordinator. We just lost our starting center, our starting left guard, our wide receiver one, our wide receiver two, our tight end. Here yeah. you go. Here's everybody else. And, and it, we don't even know if these guys are coming back, by the way. Yes. Right. So that No, the portal makes it easier these days to a certain extent. Um, I would imagine that a guy like Joe Brady, just the flashing of his flashiness of his name, yeah. would make transfer portal quarterbacks that would make their ears perk up. You know, just his name. Could say, I could be the next Joe Burrow. Who right, right. elevated himself from maybe undrafted to the number one overall pick in one in year. One exactly, year, yeah. after he hit the portal. Yes. So right. so that'll be interesting. Again, defensive staff almost completely filled up at this point. If Ryan Smith does decide to stay, I believe that would be almost all of the main defensive well, positions. Right, right. If so Sean you, Quinn is the linebacker. So, so you would have um, Smith and Jones in the secondary. One coach in safeties, one coach in corners. Marv, I assume, coaching linebackers as defensive coordinator. Uh, Price is a defensive line. And if Quinn's not and 
some sort of like quality control super assistant to the head coach or whatever, then he'd be like your other defensive line coach, I yeah. guess. So it'd be a similar setup to what Tech has right now as far as how they space out responsibilities. And they're flying around the Commonwealth right now. Uh, the social media presence has been fantastic the last couple of days. Coach Cheetah continues to impress fans, I think. <laughs> uh, his video yesterday uh, with Brent Pry for, for Danny Joe Harrell and, um, and uh, his – he was asking fans to come up with Brent Pry's new profile picture on Twitter yesterday, oh, they, which I they, thought was funny. Did they finally find one? They or? did. He found a, a family picture, but some of the, the answers in the responses uh, were pretty funny. Yeah. So if you want to check that out, go to Coach Cheetah. I did uh, I did like the picture of them on jet skis. Yes, that, that was, was like fantastic. Coach DJ Cheetah on Twitter, right? I think so, I think yeah. that's his handle. Go check that out. Sometime on Tuesday, he tweeted out, we need a new profile picture for uh, for Coach Pry on Twitter. And some of the responses to that were pretty funny. People came up with some creative stuff. And he's a guy we need to have on the podcast. I'm sure he'd be a great guest. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's written a book, basically, about – it's basically a book full of motivational sayings and things like that. And well, and he tweets, he, 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 he donates every morning too. Right, he does, he does, and, and that he, sounds familiar. He, he do, well, he, he donates the proceeds from uh, from the book to like something back home from where he's from, like uh, students who are seeking you know college educations but can't afford it. I don't know. You have to do more research, but I'm I'm sure he would love to come on the pop, podcast and promote his book one day. I'm sure he would, and I bet he'd have a good personality to be on sure, here too. Yep. So so that'll be fun. Now it's time to look back. Obviously, we're excited to look forward at what the staff's going to look like, what the future of Virginia Tech football will look like. But time to look back at the 2021 season. This was a season that had a really strong start. You beat a top 10 team in North Carolina to start off the season, beat Middle Tennessee State by 21 points, felt like a good win there. But then you start to have some tough games, close losses, West Virginia, the red zone struggles there, blown leads against Notre Dame and Syracuse. And then, you, obviously, you had the really bad losses, Pittsburgh, Boston College, and then Miami pulls away in the end. The Fuente era comes to an end midseason, and bowl eligibility saved at the very end. Commonwealth Cup win for J.C. Price versus UVA. I'm going to have you guys go through some awards for this season, favorite game, worst game, newcomer of the year, your MVPs. But first, just looking back, just impression of the season. Obviously, a roller coaster ride from the very beginning, uh, but... Obviously, in the very end, a change was made. It's it's it's, it's odd that one of your f actually favorite moments in Virginia Tech football history, or, or some of your favorite moments, really come in a season that is considered a bad season. Yeah. So, like, that UNC game was awesome. It was one of my favorite games in Tech history, just like the 2003 Miami game. Yeah. And what did we talk about after after Tech beat UNC? We said, now you got to turn it into something. Make it mean something like the 95 Miami game. Don't make it just some magical moment in time like the 2003 Miami game when Tech went on to lose like five or six or whatever, down, down, or, or four or five down the stretch, and it turned out to just be, uh, you know, fool's gold, yeah. basically. Uh, and that's kind of what the UNC game ended up being. But it was a great moment in time. And then it's kind of bookended by, like, you go up and you beat UVA and there's J.C. Price smoking a cigar <laughs> on, on, on their field. And it was Bronco Mendenhall's last game. Oh, we, man, yeah. Yes. So both of those moments were awesome, and they bookended the season, but everything in between, <laughs> not so awesome. Yeah, if you look at the first game of the season and just the last game of the season, you might say, man, Virginia Tech had a great year. Yeah, yeah. Then we're smoking cigars on UVA's home field. Beat a top 10 team. Beat a top 10 year. team. That yeah. sandwich had really good bread, but there was nothing good in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, so, so the UNC game, um, 
I, and I, I've said this, I I thought that the coaching staff and the sports information department at Tech treated the offseason the proper way. Mm-hmm. They they let Fuente get out and say positive things and be in front of people. Not not they let him, they probably encouraged him because I don't think that was really in his wheelhouse. I mean, he came on the Tech Sideline podcast. Yep. Yeah. And, you know. Did a good job. He, he did a great job. The, the reviews of that, people were just, they, they loved it. You know, because he was so personable and 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 engaged and all that stuff, and and that that and the, some of the things he said in the preseason, I feel better about the passing game than I've ever felt since we've been here. Those were not the wrong things to say. Yep. You know, um, did he set the bar bar of expectations too high? <laughs> Possibly. It, it wasn't just that for me. It was some of the stuff we knew behind the scenes where they were finally getting a decent nutrition center and they had the weight room put together so they could do recruiting was going really well over the summer over that yeah, you know, so into the season. there was all this positive momentum and uh you know in, in retrospect a lot of the same uh issues reared their heads we said going into the season braxton burmeister's got to stay healthy and he stayed healthy for about 30 minutes of football <laughs> you know and it's interesting you mentioned that miami game and this UNC game, those were actually two very similar games where the defense dominated and the offense struggled, mm-hmm. didn't do a whole lot, didn't do anything in the second yeah. half. In the Miami game, Virginia Tech completed one pass that went past the line of scrimmage. Yeah, it was and like, still won the game 31-7. to That's how incompetent Miami was under Larry Coker, right? Yeah. Well, Virginia Tech coached circles around UNC that night. They really did, you know, and, and but it was classic – Justin Fuente coaching staff being ready for that first game, mm-hmm. and then the other stuff just started to pop up to, as the season went along. Yeah. Because they, they had great opening games before. Yeah. Unfortunately, the battle at Bristol wasn't one of them. The, the game plan was good enough. Yeah. They outcoached Tennessee's coaching staff that night. Okay. Uh, they just fumbled the game away. Yeah, you know, and but you go back to the WVU game in 2017 – Florida State game in 2018, and I know we're not all of these were season openers. That, that first big game, a lot of times, is so much about the X's and O's because both teams are, are kind of unknown to each other yeah. about what they're going to do with their personnel and with new players and everything like that, especially if it's a non-conference game. Um, but after that, it becomes more the other stuff. So his positives as a coach – and I think he's a really, really good, pure football, pure football coach. Like his 11 robots would beat most other teams' 11 robots, yeah. right? And um, But he doesn't have robots. On, you know, he's, he's got human beings. He has young and, men. And, he has the men. Yeah, right. So, so his, those big early season games when it's just mostly about coaching, that really, really makes his strengths as a coach stand out. But yeah. once you get into the rest of the season where – it's all CEO stuff, CEO stuff. Like everybody knows your X's and O's at that point. There's no secrets for schematically, and it's all about how much did your players develop in the off season, and how big and strong and fast. How deep you? is your roster? Exactly. You that, 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 yeah. So those things catch up to you throughout the course of the season, and and that's sort of what happened to him throughout his tenure, I think. So looking back at that uh, that UNC game, um, you know, Sam Howell had all the hype coming in. UNC was ranked tenth in the country. And I, and I remember a lot of the discussion after that game was that Tech got them early, and that was a good thing because UNC was going to be good later. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that they, never happened they, either. No, they, they wound up being six, a 500 right? football team. Yeah. Right. And so that, that doesn't take the air out of the experience that night because the other thing to remember is this was the first game after COVID. Mm-hmm. And 
the first game where you had a full lane stadium and you got to see people jump around to enter Sandman. These are, I've already kind of forgotten. Like, like I can't stand you, throughout the season this year. Like if there was an ACC matchup coming up, the ACC network would replay those two teams when they played in 2020. And I didn't watch any of that stuff. I don't want to see empty stadiums, you know? And, and so I think we've, I know I've kind of buried the memory that all that happened. And that's what made part of that night so special was was all of it. And college football, the college fo- that was a Friday night game. Yep. One yep. of the first games that weekend. And all of college football celebrated all of that. There was a there was a video of enter, of the Inner Sandman entrance that wound up on Twitter that got millions of views. It might have gotten over ten million yeah. at one point. Yeah, it got millions for a little different reason though. Uh, Remember everybody? Well, yeah, everybody was arguing, you know, yes. masks and yeah. ma- vaccines and things in the comments of it. But but still, a six and six season for Virginia Tech. But I think we we do forget about a year ago we weren't allowed inside Lane Stadium, yeah. and now you had seven opportunities to go watch the Hokies play and jump to enter Sam. And I think that is something that comes out of this season that that you have to you can't take for granted that you were allowed back in the stadium and hopefully that never happens again but uh that was at least a good experience for this season even though the results may have not come out the way everyone uh, wanted them to had a lot of good tailgates yes absolutely exactly uh going back to justin fuente being good about preparing when he has a little bit more time we talk about season openers but even the notre dame game there was not a lot of excitement for virginia tech heading into that one because mm-hmm. they had just come off that very Lackluster. underwhelming win yeah. against Richmond. Uh, but they went into, they went into that game against Notre Dame who finished as a top five team in the country and should have won that game. If it weren't for a crazy two point conversion yeah. and just uh, a field goal to the very end. I thought tech matched up well in that game going into it. And um, I, I think I, I think I picked tech to win that game and like in a close, close game. I think you might have. Yeah, yeah. I'm and looking it up. Because David, yeah. yeah, oh, I know I did. Because David picked David Notre Dame. David was the only one who and picked that, Notre and, Dame. And that's, that's how he uh, pulled ahead of us in our in our competition throughout yeah. the year. Uh, Notre Dame did not have a good offense at that point in the season. Virginia Tech's defense was playing well at that point in the season. So I thought that game was going to be low scoring, and I thought Tech had a lot of advantages, and playing at home they would win a low scoring game. And it was higher scoring than most people thought, but, you know, the game was right there to be won. And they were up by, what, nine with five minutes left? Eight. Eight. Nine uh, was the okay. Syracuse game. Nine was the Syracuse game. Yeah. Yeah, so, Chris, you predicted Virginia Tech 20, Notre Dame 17. David picked Notre Dame 16, Virginia Tech 14. And I picked Tech 20, Notre Dame 17. So, yeah, we all foresaw a low-scoring game, and that's that's not really what happened. <laughs> right, and that was the point where I thought – it's so weird that, like, you have so much positive momentum after – the uh, North Carolina game. Like, everything went well over the summer. You've got new facilities. You've got a top 25 recruiting class so far. You just beat a top 10 team. Everything's great. Everything's going uphill. But after the Notre Dame game, you're 3-2. Uh, and two. And I remember just sitting there thinking, man, we've got Pitt next week, and they're a horrible matchup, and we're going to be 3-3. Three and three. And, I, and I said before the Notre Dame game that I thought we were going to beat Notre Dame and then lose to Pitt. So it wasn't right. like – I was getting negative because we just lost, but I'm sitting there thinking, "Yep, I think I think we're gonna. I know how the season's gonna end. We're gonna be looking for a new coach, and uh, because we're three and two, we just blew an eight point lead with five minutes left, and now we have Pitt on the schedule next. So I think I know how this is gonna end. Actually, like before the season started, I got uh, I got invited to Cabo this week, 
mm-hmm. like the week that we're currently in. And I was like, we might be doing a coaching search then. I better not commit to going to Cabo. And sure enough, it was uh, the Probably way it worked choice. out. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that pit game, I, I remember sitting on this set uh, the Wednesday before that game, and none of us gave Tech a chance to win that one, uh, and we ended up being correct. <laughs> Let's give out some awards for the season here. Let's start with games. So we're not going to say our best game. We're going to say what was your favorite game of the season. It can be for any reason. I think there's two obvious choices here, but mm-hmm. you've got the Duke blowout. Uh, you've got the Georgia Tech win, but it feels like UNC or UVA probably the main choices here. Oh. I miss Man, the, that's hard. Uh, I had more people in town for the Notre Dame game, so my overall day long experience was best for the Notre Dame game. Uh, so as opposed to UNC, so that the Notre Dame game probably favorite game up until the last yes, five up minutes until of the, the last game. Five minutes. It was absolutely <laughs> my favorite all day experience. You know. Yeah, it's interesting. Notre Dame was ranked number fourteen in that that game, and they wound up being. Did they wind up being fifth? Fifth. They wow. won every game after that. Their only loss was Cincinnati. Yeah, I just did not see a team that night that was that good. Well, and heading into that game, everybody kind of wrote them off because they only beat Wisconsin because they had three, two pick sixes Their and a punt return right. for a touchdown yeah, before yeah. that. And People forget that they were well. They were a really well coached team that was going to get better. Yeah. You know, I mean, Brian Kelly is a great coach. Yes. That's why he's not there anymore. Right. So I would have to say it's got to be the UNC game um, uh, because I I just had had fun all day long. You know, the UVA game, my expectations were not high. Um, I I did not strut in the Scott Stadium thinking, you know, (laughs) let's, uh, sure, we're bringing the cup with us, but we're taking it back home with us also. It turned out to be. I, I thought the post game of UVA was that was that was pretty special. I stayed in Scott Stadium and watched all that stuff and went down on the field and um, it, it just felt like an entire program was enjoying itself that night in a way they they had struggled to all year long. So I, I have a hard time picking a favorite between those two. They were both very enjoyable for very different reasons. Yeah, definitely. UNC, maybe a little more hope going in, a little more hope coming out. out but yeah. but UVA, obviously, always great to beat the rival. Uh, and obviously a big win for J.C. Price and that team. Now we go to least favorite game. <laughs> little more options here. Uh, <laughs> lo- looking at, at the six losses, I assume it would be a loss you would pick. Maybe Richmond sneaks in there. Uh, but what would be your least favorite game of the season? Uh, you know, you're tempted to say pit, but like what happened in the pit game was exactly what I thought was going to happen. So I can't be too disappointed. Right. Um, it's just got to be West Virginia. It's it's your rival, and you have a chance to win the game. You get off to a horrible start to begin with, but then you get yourself back in it, and then Jermaine Waller comes up with a great play, and you got the ball first and goal to win the game. You got four chances to score, and you don't do it. Mm. That's definitely, and that's. The mood of the fan base really, really went started going downhill at that point. Yeah. So to remind everyone, Tech was two and zero, and that game was really all that was standing in between them, because they had Richmond the next week. Right, we were we were, we were talking college game day in Blacksburg right. for the Notre Dame game. Yeah. And within a matter of weeks after that, we had fired our coach. And, so that, and Tech probably would have been ranked higher than Notre Dame heading into that game as well. Notre Dame was fourteen. Yeah. I think Tech probably would have been. 10, 11? Probably. Yeah. Virginia Tech was number 15 yes. in that WVU game, which in retrospect just sounds preposterous. Sounds preposterous. <laughs> you know, but but there they were. Um, so, hmm. I don't know for me. 
there's so many options. For me, it, it's it's uh, although the Boston College game was pretty hideous, um, the it's the Pittsburgh game for me because, um, you know, it's it's when you're talking about the endeavors of young men, one of the worst words you can use is flaccid. <laughs> I don't know. I that don't even game want to know where flaccid. you're going with this. Yes, it was though. Okay. That I mean, it was just so. weak. It was limp. There was just nothing to it. You knew it couldn't get the job done. I actually don't remember anything about the game. This clip's not going to If you can't it, you know, visualize how there. Tech played in that game, well, I, know, I don't know what's going to. I so. mean, I I know how they played. I just like <laughs> I don't really remember any specific plays from it. Is all I'm saying. I just remember leaving. Yeah. You know, I left at halftime. I'm like, yeah, this, yeah, this is going exactly. I think well. that was. Oh, I remember the Tavion Robinson catch. That's the one thing I remember. That his touchdown catch with the one hand. Yes. yes. This is like the only good thing that happened all day, and I remember that. I Other thought, than that, that, like, that game is like erased from my memory. I mean, there, there are a lot of options. I think the only loss that I don't think would qualify as worst game is probably Miami. Uh, I don't think that one would even be in the conversation, but Notre Dame and Syracuse, you blow those late leads. That yeah. could be one. So many options, Jake. Uh, Boston, Boston College obviously was just <laughs> – you know, Maybe I, we should put a poll on the side. We should. Well, we well, should what was the most depressing <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you remember uh, the story with me in the Syracuse game was that I was down in Florida um, visiting because it yes. was my 25th anniversary. So my wife and I went to Florida and I watched that game on my phone on this awful streaming website that it was very difficult to navigate the ads. But I just remember just thinking, expecting, expecting, not thinking, expecting Virginia Tech was going to lose it. So when Syracuse makes... Probably the best offensive play they made all season to win the game. I just gave a wry chuckle, and well, there it is. What I remember about that game is Peter Moore had down the punt at the two-yard line, right? And the crazy thing is that punt hit at the three, bounced straight up, and then landed at the two, which is it's like the most amazing punt I've ever seen. And I just nudge my buddy, and he goes, they're going to be about to go 98 yards for a touchdown right here. And then they went Redneck's famous last touchdown. words, hey, y'all, watch this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Notre Dame, Syracuse mentioned those blown losses. West Virginia. I think I would go with West Virginia with you. I mm. think that one was just painful to watch because, first of all, Tech had no reason to be. Or there was no reason they should have been in that game. But then at the end, there was no reason they should have lost it too. This is West Virginia. Yes, on the road. Hokies who else, who else? loss is always the hardest too. Yeah. Yes, and and yeah, because that's when your undefeated season goes goes awry. <laughs> yeah. But and, and West Virginia didn't turn out to be a good team either. No, they didn't. They've they got were, a good defense, but they can't play offense. Yes, so. yes. So that was our depressing award to give out least favorite game. Now let's get into some players. Before we get into, we're gonna do offensive and defensive MVP. Mm. Who was your newcomer of the year? This could be a transfer. This could be a freshman. I think there's a couple of good options here. Mm. Give me, give me my options. So I wrote down these three. The, we'll, we'll do this like an award show. The, these are our nominees for newcomer of the year for Is Virginia there one Tech on football. each side of the ball. There's three. Overall. I've got three: two offensive, one defensive. At running back, Malachi Thomas. Mm -hmm. Great couple of games, but not as much down the stretch. Not his fault. Tay Daly transferred from Vanderbilt at safety, and then Caden Moore at right guard. Maybe not the. The sexy pick, the sexy pick right. but up front, he, he held his own all season long. I, I would go Caden Moore on offense, for sure. And I would go Jordan Williams on defense. Jordan, I didn't. I should have written. Who, who are the nominees Williams. on defense? Nom, well, we'll Tay, do Tay, Tay Daly. So you, you gave three overall. I gave right. three overall for newcomer of the year. If you guys want to do offense and defense, too, I should have written down Jordan Williams. 
Jordan Williams, as far as I see it, won us partly won us two football games. It's true. The yeah, first the and play, the last. The play to get against the Sam Howell. All right, so yeah. the play against Sam Howell when Sam Howell decided right. to pull his Ryan Willis and throw it throw above it over his down shoulder. the field. Yeah. And then the end of the game when, when he got in there and knocked it loose against against UVA to force the safety. Yeah. Um, and Peter Moore doesn't count because he played a little bit last year. He's listed as a freshman. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, uh, let's see. I will go. You could also throw Parker Clements in there. Parker Clements, too. also had a great year, yeah. I it, It's hard to pick offensive linemen, though. It is. Um, uh, so, I'd, I'd have to go probably with Jordan Williams also. So, Jordan. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm digging Malachi Thomas, though. If, if properly utilized all season long, what could he have done? Yes. So, that's, that's the question. Malachi Thomas, I think if he had – gotten as many touches in the last three games as he did in that three-game stretch, Syracuse, and uh, what was the other one he uh, – Georgia, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, yes. Well, so. My guess about Thomas is is he's so skinny that he was wearing down and was probably banged up. Could be. I mean, he's got to hit the weight room. I mean, you can't give that dude the ball 20-plus times If he wants game, to be Lee enough. Suggs, he's yeah. got to hit that weight room. Yeah. And, so yeah. I thought they – I was glad that he started getting playing time, but – you know, in that Syracuse and then the George Tech game, when he was getting 20-plus carries and Blackshear was getting like 10 or 12, I thought it should have been reversed. Um, so, you know, Jordan Williams did get to play every single game, stay healthy, yes. right? You know, so, uh, yeah. And Jordan Williams declaring for the draft as well, which was expected. Um, would Jordan Williams be your defensive MVP too? I think, honestly, it could be Jordan Williams or Tay Daly, two of the newcomers. I, it would have to be one of those two, in my opinion. I think Daly was the only consistent safety for Virginia Tech this year. And he came up with some, some big plays uh, for, for the Hokies. Uh, you know, broke up some passes down the field against UNC. Uh, broke up the pass to end the game against yes. UVA. Uh, I would still probably go Jordan Williams. Um Tech's defense struggled against the run this year, but generally speaking, it was not an issue with the def- with the defensive tackles. It was more the linebackers and the safeties filling. Right, right. Uh, did not maintain gap integrity and things yeah. like that. Um, so I, I go Jordan Williams. It, to me, it's crazy to say because if you had told us halfway through the season oh. that the defensive MVP would not be Jermaine Waller, exactly. I think I would have told you you were crazy. He had four interceptions in the first four games. And and, but, and and they were all elite interceptions, yes. and they were all big interceptions. Yeah. Like the the obviously the one against UNC that shut down a UNC drive, one he returned for a touchdown against Notre Dame, and one to set up what should have been the game the winning, game winning touchdown against, against West Virginia. Wow. Yeah. And they're all like they were all big time plays too. It wasn't like they, he got the ball. Thrown wasn't like the quarterback him. threw it right too. Yeah. Yeah. The the UNC one, he ripped the ball away from the receiver. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the West Virginia game, if they convert that first down, the game was over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Waller made a play, got the Hokies a chance to win the game, and then obviously the Notre Dame one that really flipped the momentum. It looked like Notre Dame had a chance to go take over that game. Mm-hmm. He got the pick six to give him the lead. So defensive MVP, you guys are going Jordan Williams, which again. Could have been Jermaine Waller if he was able to stay a little bit healthier towards the end of the season. Offensive MVP, an offense that was up and down most of the season. couple of options here. I'm, I'm going with an oddball pick. I'm going to go with Braxton Burmeister. He's the most valuable player That's because true. if he'd stayed healthy. Or, or what if he hadn't? Or, That's or, true. Right, right, right. What if he had gotten, well, he was hurt all year. But what if he got hurt to the point where somebody else had had to play? So And, and that's... So, that's why MVP is almost always a quarterback award right, in the right. NFL because yeah. so, you remove Braxton Burmeister from that team, that's the most impact. Would Tech have won a game have. without him? It's a fair question. 
I think. Would, would have leaned heavily on the run. Yeah, I mean, that you know, they would have won Richmond, MTSU. Oh, those, we barely but, beat those teams. Well, we barely yeah. beat Richmond anyway with yeah. him, remember? Yeah. Remember we brought in Knox Kadem against Richmond, and he immediately threw a pick <laughs> and scored a, and Richmond scored a touchdown. See how valuable Braxton Burmeister <laughs> yeah, is. Right. Uh, okay, so I agree. Burmeister is the most valuable well, we player. We can go offensive player of the player year. Player of the year. Okay, well, wow. uh, mine's Blackshear. Got to be Blackshear. And, I think it has and, to be. And yeah. I, think, I think he should file criminal charges for not touching the ball for the first half of the season. I thought that was ridiculous. And getting he two sh- touches against he, Miami. He, he, uh, exactly. I mean, he should he should have been a 1,000-yard rusher. He was good enough to. If you're going to talk to the police about Raheem Blackshear, then you need to file a missing persons report for some of the games. <laughs> yeah. Like, like where was he during those games before yeah. you go? When he was dominating Notre Dame, and they're just like, yeah, you know what? We're just not going to let him touch the ball for the last <laughs> 25 minutes. Anyway. We we'll let Chris uh, get on his soapbox. There I, I can't wait till next year when we find things to pick on about <laughs> Brent Pry and his decisions. <laughs> and- yeah, I mean, this uh, this is just – this isn't something to pick on. Like this isn't a little nitpick. This is just a, a gigantic. It's your best <laughs> player, and you don't give forehead. him the ball. That's not a nitpick, <laughs> anyway. Uh, hey, we can do it because we get nitpicked all the time. Just yes. look at the comments of our articles and the comments of our YouTube videos. <laughs> of course, yeah. We Nitpicking read those... is fair and expected. <laughs> All right, well, those are our awards for the 2021 season. Let's wrap up football talk with a general question. The Fuente era is now over in Blacksburg. How do you think it will be remembered? When you look back 10 years from now, how do you think the Fuente era will be remembered? I laughed. I cried. It became a part of me. <laughs> I, I, I hope I hope it's remembered as a very poor era because if it's remembered as a poor era, that means that, it got better. That means it, it means Pry is going to be really good. And obviously the Beamer era was very good. And you, ideally, Justin Fuentes is the worst of those three eras. Now, if we're, stu- if we're having the same conversation five years now, from, from now about Brent Pry's replacement and things like that, and then we're just going to be like, yeah, Justin Fuente was just another football coach. It's that old thing, if it's not you, it's me. Right, <laughs> if right. we're right back here five years ago. Right, right. So it's like, remember like a year or so ago when NC State wanted to fire their coach? But when you actually look at his winning percentage, it's better than any NC State coach since the 70s. It's like, so like that guy's a pretty good coach. It's just they haven't had – it's just their their I feel like he sucks. missed his window this year, man. With Clemson being down, he could have. Anyway, I don't want to go down that path. Uh, I I think we will re, we will recall the Justin Fuente era as the era of the skinny legs <laughs> yes. on all of our football players. No, it, but to answer the question seriously, um, it's if you think about where Virginia and I've talked about this before. If you think about where Virginia Tech fans are mentally now versus where they were at the end of Frank's tenure. At the end of Frank's tenure, it was, um, you know, everything's okay. It's just Frank's kind of run out of gas. And and at the end of the Fuente era, you're like, wow, there's a lot of structural stuff we have to fix mm-hmm. with the program. Right. And I don't think that, like, a fan as a fan base, we would have recognized that under Frank so much. Because we'd, we would have just said, oh, Frank's just getting older, and that's all it is. Um I still think when Fuente flirted with Baylor, it opened up some people's eyes. Yeah. And I wrote after that happened that, you know, if, if good things come out of that, that if we get the ball rolling with monetary support and things like that uh, to match other programs, then long-term he could end up being a net positive for Virginia Tech because of that. And uh, he still might. That, that might turn out to be the case. I mean, we, we, we've seen the, the amount of money they're giving to Brent Pry. 
And w when you give the next coach a lot of money, that's part admitting that, man, we really should have given our old coach more resources, right? Here's, here's the problem is so you had your, you had your Mustang GT and everybody else was, was an IROC Camaro. So you took your Mustang GT and you turbocharged it. You said, that guy's in trouble now. And he rolls up for the next drag race in a Lamborghini. Right. And that's, the Lamborghini is the SEC and the Big Ten now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and, and we're experiencing that right now with, there's some, some at least in my head, there's some, uh, I don't know if frustration is the right word, but Virginia Tech has so greatly increased their funding for just for assistant coaches from $3.5 million to $5.5 million. That's a big leap for Virginia Tech. And it happens right at the time when, you know, as we've gone over, Michigan State's throwing nine and a half million at Mel Tucker. USC's doing just insane, obscene things with Lincoln Riley to where you just kind of raising your hand goes, anybody paying attention to us? We're doing good stuff over here. Anybody notice? You know, and so it's it's uh, I've gone off on a tangent. Well, it's a different era of football. Now. It is. And, 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 and that's the biggest thing that happened in the Fuente well, era was well, our realization. It, it, exactly. And it started during the Beamer era, but we didn't fully grasp it yeah. until after Fuente got here. And. You're grasping it more and more every year. I mean, look what Miami's doing with their football program right now. I mean, they're actually taking the profits from their hospital system and throwing it into their football program. How corrupt can you possibly be? I mean. How much is my surgery costing and why? Why? Oh, well, well. We, we need to hire a new defensive coordinator. Yeah, yeah. And we got to, you know, we got to get this five-star offensive lineman. He needs his nap room. I'm, I'm getting yeah. my gallbladder removed. I want free season tickets in exchange for getting my gallbladder removed. Right. So um, I, I just think uh, the, the levels people are going to to win at college football is ridiculous these days. But it's – the money's there, yeah. right? It's – they're like – if, if big donors are stepping in to pay all this extra money that the schools themselves can't afford because the cost, cost of scholarships and coaching salaries have all exploded, then, then, like, that's somebody else's money. They're willing to do it. And, like, if we have problems with college football, ultimately it's our fault because we watch. You know? if, you, if you want to write me a $2 million check to expand tech sideline, I'll expand sure, tech sideline. Right, right. I, will, I will spend your money. You'll spend your money, exactly. Um, and so it's like somebody put this the other way, and I forget who I was talking to, but they said like complain, people who complain about college football and then continue to, to, to watch college football, it's like complaining about you know things gas does to the environment and then continuing to drive. It's just you complain about it. Slapping but, a turbocharger on your Mustang, right, right, but 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 it's still what everybody does, right? It, Gas is expensive. Right. You're still you're still you're driving, still to driving, work. still and, driving. And so, to work. so I used to get indignant about this stuff, but I'm, I'm actually just I'm just watching all of it, and I'm like, this is ludicrous, and it's actually getting <laughs> it's a, kind of fun to it's, watch. It's actually kind of comical. Like like what what is the what is the most ridiculous thing I can I I'm gonna see next? <laughs> right. Like I mean the Miami actually using profits from their health system to pay for their football program sounds like the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard, but I give it a two or three years, somebody's gonna one up that. I guarantee I'm sure. I'm pulling out the Mike Young popcorn and just going, Okay, what's next, <laughs> man? I just Michigan can't believe State's what I'm paying at. nine and a half million dollars to a guy with seventeen wins. Right. I could do the math on that. And it looks like the next craziest thing that happened, uh, I saw yesterday, the favorite to take over for Mario Cristobal at Oregon, none other than Oregon's former coach, Chip Kelly. Really? Oh. So we could see a reunion in Eugene as well. It's, it's become great theater. 
It really has. Yeah, well, this might be the most exciting offseason college football has had <laughs> ever. When the Miami Sports Information Department tells the media, <laughs> please don't ask our coach the process of how he got hired. What does that? Don't ask him how he got here. Just yeah. he's here. That's all you need. <laughs> and and every journalist worth his salt is going. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> you know, and it's just um, it's just fascinating to watch. Well, going back to the original question, we went off on a little tangent there. Justin Fuente era. We may not know how it'll be remembered for five years, just like we may not know how the Brent Pry hire will be viewed in five years. We'll just have to wait and see. Before we get to Katie. Just like PTI, we got to do errors and omissions. I wrote down, I wanted to mention Chris Marv recruited both of Alex Orgy's brothers to Vanderbilt. Right. Uh, I know that was a big thing. So that it's certainly not going to hurt uh, the pursuit of keeping him in Blacksburg. Apparently, yeah. there's rumors on like a Michigan 247 site that he's going to visit Michigan this weekend instead of Virginia Tech. Fantastic. So, And Josh Gaddis was just named... Broyles Award winner. Broyles Award winner. He's a great coordinator. I remember earlier this year, Michigan fans were complaining about him. Point being, fans always hate their play calling, even when he's the Broyles Award winner. And then I just, if if he does. Offensive coordinator is the toughest job in the world. If he he does go up there, I know how they're going to negative recruit Virginia Tech. I think I did it probably about 20 minutes ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we will have to wait and see. Signing day a week from today, early signing day. So. Uh, we, we've got a little bit of time to figure out who's going to stay and who's going to sign in that 2022. At least we know what your podcast class. is going to be. You're going to be here next week, right? I will be here all week next week. So Don't forget to tip your waiter. Yes, I'll, I'll be here all week. Uh, and then then we'll, we'll see. I'm going to be all over the country after that over winter break. So with that, it's been almost 45 minutes. Let's Ooh. hand it over to Katie. Um, so before I get into tidbits and trivia, I want to start off by posing a question to you all. Did you see Bud Foster's tweet from two days ago? Uh, he yeah, he talked about he was talking about players opting out of the ball game. Yeah, right. for context, yeah. I'll read it. He said, "I really don't understand college players across the country opting out of their team's bowl game. For ninety percent of you, if not higher, it's going to be the last game you'll ever play. Enjoy the experience because it's short. Hashtag finish with, finish with your brother." So what are your thoughts on that? Every guy that's opted out for us so far is not playing in the bowl game besides uh, Brock Hoffman as of today. Right. Um, that, that's a good question. So wait a minute. What's the Brock Hoffman news? Uh, he's he's going to declare for the draft. He's not going to take his sixth year, his COVID year, and he's gonna, but he's going to go to the NFL instead. Is he going to play in the bowl yes, game? He yes, he's going to play in the bowl game. Um, I think Bud is right to him. a certain extent. Um, I, I, I think – I don't blame guys that are definitely going to get drafted. Because, like, if you have an injury there, that's going to cost you money. But, like, in my opinion, like, I don't mean this to be negative because I, I just named him my MVP, but Jordan Williams is, is not going to get drafted and will probably never play in an NFL game. So, from his perspective, he, Bud's absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean I, I don't think Trey Turner's going to get drafted. And, and I don't think most of our guys are going to get Well, drafted. we went into the season yeah. saying Amari Barno might be a second-round, third-round pick. And now it feels like he'll get drafted, but I don't think it's going to be very high. No. So, yeah, for a couple of those Tech players, I do think they're skipping the last football game that they'll ever play in. So he's got a point. I think it depends on the player and, and the specific situation. Sorry to say that about those guys. I just yeah. They just don't strike me as, as NFL players. I wrote it down. Jordan that, Jordan Williams will not get drafted, nor will Trey Turner. You wrote it down. All right, we got it written down. We have our, the receipts. Our we'll show on whatever it is, May first or April. Okay, okay, 30th, no, okay. Now, no, no, just because you get drafted doesn't mean you'll ever play in a football game. So six I'm and seven round picks get cut all the time, man. I'm just teasing. You know what I mean? My Tennessee Titans cut their fourth round pick this year. So, uh, so l- let me address the topic. That's yet another thing I used to get indignant and irate about. It, 
players opting out of bowl games. And uh, um, it was just, it was the last podcast where we had this interesting discussion that maybe bowl games should be shifted to the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, and that, that's a whole, we talked about it already. Don't want to reopen that can of worms, but I just, I'm I'm getting where I don't get worked up about anything. It's it's, it's hard to take it serious when sometimes you've got a bowl game scheduled and then your position coach leaves or, I mean, you're going to tell a Notre Dame player you have to take your bowl game seriously when, you know, Brian Kelly just left. When there was still a chance for them to reach the college football playoffs, yeah. right. too. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I just think and there's so many bowls. Um, if there wasn't 80-plus teams in bowls, you know, it would be one thing. Yeah. But but putting making bowl games used to be special. Like, you know, when Tech made the Independence Bowl to start the bowl streak, there were only – 19 balls that year. Only 38 yeah. teams made balls. And we loaded up now a couple double, cars and drove down the it street. Because it was really hard to make a bowl, uh, so they were special. And now they're not special anymore because two-thirds of college football makes a bowl game, at least. It, was, it would be like over 200 teams making the NCAA tournament, right? NCAA basketball tournament. Yeah. It wouldn't be special then. It's special because only 68 teams make it. Yep. Uh, and and you, you, you don't see guys opt out of the NCAA tournament for, for the NBA draft. Um, um, so I just think it's, uh, I don't know that they have, they do have to take a hard look at, at, at bowl games and how they're done. And, uh, you know, they, they came into existence to stimulate local economies but now they're all just TV money is what it's about. Yeah. So, so the number, so, the number is 68% of teams make bowl games, 80 out of wow. 88 out of 130. Cool. Yep. I said two thirds. Yep. And that you matter might, fact, under- matter of fact, you're darn close to two thirds. It's 0.677. Hmm. And you, you might understand first round picks. If you feel like you're going to be picked on the first day, yeah. maybe you opt out oh, to yeah. avoid injury. But again, after that, it, it becomes a little bit more. Uh, I've, I've become desensitized to it. Yeah, me so. too. Uh, it just really doesn't. It doesn't bother. Me. I'm not blaming. I'm not blaming any of those guys. But just. But yes, I do agree with Bud for the standpoint of some of those guys did, did just decide to opt out of the last football game they'll probably ever play in. Yeah. Moving on to basketball, an unfortunate news this past Saturday, Wake Forest shot 63.5% from the field, the highest mark by any Virginia Tech opponent since Dayton in 2019, Mm. and the highest field goal percentage by an ACC team in any game this season. So in basketball, we give ACC teams a heck of a day, and in football, we give ACC teams their first conference win. Oof. And And I remember that Dayton game. Um, that, it was, they had a, that was the Obi Toppin game. Yes, it was the day yeah, after and, Tech beat Michigan State. Right, right, right. So, except Wake Forest did not have Obi Toppin. Wake Forest had a bunch of nobodies, and they still they did. Had that, that was the disappointing part of it. Yes, Dayton won that game 89-62. I remember they were just basically dunking all over Tech. Well, uh, Dayton probably would have been a <clears throat> number one seed that year if COVID hadn't hit. Yeah, They were a dominant team. I think they were like 28-2. and two. Like, like what happened to top top and oh, he, was a he was the eighth overall pick to the Knicks. I'm not sure how he's done since he got into the league, but top 10 pick. Yeah. Cool name. Yeah. And then lastly, Virginia Tech basketball takes on Cornell tonight for the first time in program history. What one other team on the schedule had they never played before? One other team. Other team on the schedule. I could cheat by looking at the schedule. Uh, was <clears> it Maine? No. It wasn't Maine. No, they uh, they had played Maine once before. I'm oh, sure. it was Merrimack. Is that right? It's yeah. got to be Maine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Merrimack. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> duh. Yeah. So hopefully we have the same good fortune. Yeah, because Ma- Merrimack though. only jumped up to Division One like two or three years ago. Okay. Yep. Well, we're going to talk about that Cornell game after the break. We went a little long on football, but 
I think the basketball segment will be a little bit shorter. We've been told to shorten the podcast, so uh, <laughs> so the the second half should be shorter than the first one. I hope if we don't want a two hour podcast, we'll talk Cornell. We will talk. Dayton, we just talked about the Dayton game in Maui two years ago. Hokies traveled to Dayton on Sunday as well to face off with them for the first time since that OB Toppin game. All of that is coming up on episode 215 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Stay with us. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back on episode 215 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We have a new change on set. David Cunningham, managing editor of Tech Sideline, is taking over Will's spot across the way. Second straight time on a Wednesday, we've had a little line change in the middle of the podcast. David comes on to talk basketball. His preview of Cornell and Dayton is up on the website right now. Before we hop into hoops, if you are watching on YouTube, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And if you're in the live stream, leave a question or comment for, I guess now, David or Chris uh, about basketball or football as we already have gone through the new coaching news and also a year in review for the football team. But let's talk men's basketball. This week feels like kind of a turning point of the season. You can either go one way, you get two big wins against Cornell and Dayton, you're eight and three, you lose one, you're in danger of possibly being 500 or worse heading into the new year. Yeah, can't lose to Cornell at home. No. That would not be ideal. Yeah, this is t- tonight. <laughs> the, to the Wednesday game against Cornell tonight is a game you have to win. Yes, the Dayton game, it's on the, on road, the road, so it's you, I guess you got a little bit more leeway. But that's still a game that you should win. You need to make up the Wake Forest game somewhere. Yes, yes, and Cornell tonight. They're eight and one, but again, an Ivy League team probably should win that one. Dayton on the road on Sunday, two p.m. tip off. There, Hokies are two and zero on true road games so far this season. Uh, so a chance there for another big win. Let's start with Cornell, though. 8-1, and one, but again, against the, the only good team they've really played is Penn State, and that was the game that they lost. They are a fast team, though. They are second in the country in scoring, 91.2 points per game. Uh, and Mike Young on Tech Talk Live on Monday said they're one of the fastest teams of the country in the country, and he used the analogy calling them a herd of buffalo running down the court. Yeah, and you know, so the head coach at Cornell is Brian Earl, yep. Dan Earl's brother, who coaches at VMI. And VMI plays not as quickly, but they play at a pretty fast pace too. But this is going to be another game. We saw it against Memphis, you know, a couple of weeks ago in Brooklyn, where Memphis likes getting out in transition. But this is a team that literally like fat, like UNC fast, where it's like bucket goes up, turn outlet, you're up the court in three seconds, and there's a bucket. They want to score 100. Yeah, uh, Cornell's trying to push the pace, and I, I think it'll be a, a battle of wills, just can Virginia Tech get a little bit of a run out early, and then can Virginia Tech's defense settle down, and especially after the playing poor defense against Wake Forest, can the defense settle down, get some stops, let them control the tempo, and kind of coast for the rest of the game. And 122 points for Cornell in their last game. Again, it was against it was a D3 Ki- school. Kiuka College, a D3 school. Uh, but they know how to put points on the board. That's going to be the Hokies' key, especially after last game where they couldn't stop Wake Forest all that much, 65% shooting. You'd think it's going to be lower than that tonight, I mean, at least you would hope. Yeah, you, you would think there had been some defensive practice going yeah. on this week. Uh, the Tech didn't play very well on either end of the court against Wake Forest. I mean, when you lose by 19 at home, I mean, that's certainly the case. But probably the more disappointing part was uh, 
defensively and giving up all those free cutters to the basket really is, is what was the disappointing part to me. So hopefully that's been emphasized. Um, this is a game Tech should win. I know Cornell's 8-1, and one, but, you know, their schedule has not been the most difficult in the world. But uh, it's a game that Tech should win. And then you've got a couple of old A-10 foes coming yeah. up. Dayton and then St. Bonaventure. And uh, you, you really <laughs> want to win both of those games, man. I, I did not – I wouldn't have foreseen Virginia Tech starting the meat of their conference schedule with just like one decent win. Thought they would win at least a couple of yep. those, and I wouldn't have seen them losing at home to Wake Forest. So it's been disappointing from that standpoint, and uh, it's a long way to go. And in case you didn't notice, the ACC is not very good. Like UVA last night uh, losing to, to JMU. JMU. Yeah, at, right at JMU. Uh, yes, and that's the, what their fourth loss. Yeah, they're six. Right. UVA yeah. is six and it's, four. It's just not a great league. So to be honest with you, I mean, Tech went up there and and uh, to New York and lost to Xavier and Memphis. Uh, there's just are, are those teams worse than ACC teams? I'm not sure that they are. I look around yeah. this league and I just don't see a whole lot of quality yep. this year. So. To, uh, I'm, I'm not by all by any means am I giving up on this season. You oh, know, yeah. it's it's, uh, it's a long but, way to go. But you have to start winning some games at some point, and I feel like you need obviously win this one tonight and win one of those next two. Uh, I'd love to win both of them. That would make me feel a lot better. Yeah, I think I think it starts this week, and and this is a Cornell team that shoots the ball really well. Every single player, all five of their starters. Shoot the ball better than forty six percent, and and they're a really good three point shooting team. They've scored. They played. Not, they played nine games and and hit double digit three pointers in six of those games. So the, the the teams they played haven't been fantastic. Obviously, you know against Penn State, Penn State shut them down defensively, and Penn State hit threes of their own. That's what Tech's going to have to do. But this is a Cornell team that can pose some problems, and then. Dayton is is big and lengthy and very very efficient shooting wise, and then I mean St Bonaventure next week everybody knows that the the Bonnies I mean they were the A ten champs last year so well I'm in the hospitality area tonight so if Tech start losing you don't want them to start <laughs> <laughs> but no well, I, the one thing I uh, let's change the subject a little bit to Dayton one thing I noticed is they start like four freshmen yeah they're very they're very extremely yeah. young team so that's why you can start off zero and three. And with some like inexplicable losses, and then beat Kansas. Yeah, beat, yeah. beat Miami, beat Kansas, beat Belmont. Those are all top 100 teams per Ken Palm. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they're starting about three, four freshmen a game, but they're they're a really efficient shooting team. They've got about you know they're they're a, kind of a lengthier team, kind of like a combination uh, of Memphis and Xavier, where they've got two two guys that are. Taller than than Lumen Mutz. Kind of a typical Dayton team, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, but but this is going to be a team that that is going to to really test Tech's defense because they're going to be really really efficient shooting the ball. You know, they they get the ball inside. They don't really take a lot of threes. So in a way, it's a lot like Xavier, where you know, now that I said that, they're probably going to go and hit like twenty threes, like like uh, the one guy for Z- Nate Johnson did for Xavier. But this is a a, a team that is really going to give Tech fits on the inside and Tech's going to have to be really disciplined defensively. And, you know, these are these are two games, two contrasting styles, but when you just lost a game by 19 at home, I mean, probably potentially the worst defensive performance in the Mike Young era, you mm-hmm. could say. Um, you know, and Mike's Mike said on Tech Talk Live and that that they've they've had they had a good practice on Monday and 
um, you know, that they're, they're going to be prepared. And, you know, I think you turn to the, the veteran leadership on this team. But, um, but yeah, these are two games ahead of St. Bonaventure, Duke, and North Carolina that you, that you, you need to win just to, to get your footing back and to get back on the right track. Because the chances of, of winning Duke and Carolina on the road are, are slim. Yeah. I mean, Duke's obviously playing well, uh, with the exception of the, their last game, of course. And, Look, this year, Coach K's last year, you ain't going to get a single call on Cameron Indoor Stadium. So yeah. you might as well write that one off. And Tech's only won in King Cameron one time right, ever, right, and that exactly. was in 2006. Yeah. So you can win at Carolina because they're not a very good defensive team, but you've got to get your own defense straightened out yeah. before then. Yeah, Cornell really the last tune-up non-conference game for Virginia Tech this season. Dayton, again, you guys mentioned lost some inexplicable games. Three straight bye games, <laughs> they lost all of them. Oh. UMass Lowell, Lipscomb, and Austin P. Then oh. they go to the ESPN Events Invitational and within four days beat Miami, Kansas, and Belmont. <laughs> and then since then, they're 2-0. and It's Alabama State and Northern Illinois, but they've outscored them by 77 points combined in those wow. two games. So Dayton, a very strange team to look at that schedule. Hey, at least it's at Dayton. They, it is. They, Dayton, yeah. one of the best uh, environments you'll see. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and they didn't play well at home earlier. That's true. They did not. Yeah. So I, I <laughs> But yeah, Dayton's like a really good mid major environment and a great mid major Yeah, I'm I'll be at the game. It'll I think it'll be it's I mean, it sits about thirteen thousand. So that's you know, I, I'm excited to experience that. Um but but yeah, I think I mean I think that's a, like you like you mentioned earlier, Jake, tech is two and zero on the road this year. A, a win at, at Navy. They had to grind out a win at Maryland where they were down and they weren't playing well at all. Mm-hmm. And they basically had to gut their way through it. And we've seen where Maryland has gone since then. Maryland, you know, fired Turgeon and Mike Mark Turgeon and then uh, lost two games. I think they lost to Northwestern for the first time in program history the other night. Right. So um, you know, the quality wins are not looking so high quality, not but but this is another another chance where you know it seems like Tech always plays pretty well, um, at least last year and this year on in road environments under Mike Young. You know Mike gets these guys prepared to play, and um, you know I'm interested to see this should be a win tonight against Cornell, and then I'm interested to see how Tech defends the length, the size, and it's an inexperienced team, fire like Memphis, where they're they're you know. It's kind of half and half, but um, but this is a game where if you can win it on the road, you've got three. I'm not going to say quality because I don't know how quality the Maryland one will be by the end of the season. But you've not got really. you got three decent road wins over you know a, a Navy team that that is going to be pretty good, a Dayton team that should be pretty good, and a Maryland team that could be good if they ever figure it out. Um, and then you go into the last three games of the season against St. Bonaventure at Duke and at North Carolina. And those are games where you're going to need to play your best basketball no matter what. And if you win both these games this week, you would probably feel good just stealing one of those next three. St. Bonaventure, Duke, UNC. If you can get one and at least play close in the other two, right, you would right. feel pretty good about that. Yeah, yeah. and the thing is, like, I, I, I really want to win these next three. Because, I mean, what if Tech only beats Cornell and then they lost the next four? Yeah. You know, and then, then you're, you're sitting there, what? Seven and seven. Seven and seven. Yeah. No, who would have guessed that at the beginning of the year? I yeah. certainly would have. That would be a huge disappointment. Like, uh, everybody all year, you know, when the football team was struggling, it's like, oh, I can't wait till basketball season to have something good to talk about. Yeah. So, hopefully, hopefully they can get it turned around soon. The thing I like about basketball is when you get a really good seat, like, you, you can look at their faces and see their expressions yeah. and have an understanding of their emotions and – you know, I had really good seats for the game the other day, and and you know, I just don't like some of the body language. Like, I don't like it how every time 
Kevin Aluma misses a shot. He, he turns just turns around and scowls at the ref, yeah. as if it's the ref's fault every single time. You know, you know. Um, so, I, when, I, and I think when players do that, that means they're not mentally dialed in anyway. They're not focusing on what's important. Yep. Um, so I think some things like that are our biggest issue. I'm not going to be able to. I'm sitting way up top in the crow's nest tonight with you. And, yes. Uh, so I'm not going to be able to see those facial expressions and things like that tonight. But uh, for anybody who's sitting closer, maybe I can let us well, know. Well, for the Dayton game, I'll be sitting. I'll be sitting like, I think like right under the basket next right. to Tech bench. So, um, so so that'll be and, and, and some it, good stuff down there. Yeah, an experience. Yeah, and I mean, I always find it interesting, especially where where you can sit courtside. Um, to to hear what the coaches and, and and players are saying, or to to be able to look at the players kind of like that. But yeah, I mean, these are. I, this is the first time in the Mike Young era that Tech started zero one in the ACC too. So wow. so you know, two two wins against Clemson in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty to start the season. You go, you go into <laughs> your next games are at Duke and at Carolina, yeah. and it's like it does not get any more difficult than that in the ACC. I think the only venue. Only place that would be, only two places that would be more difficult to play would be at Florida State now, Louisville, just because Tech does not play well there. <laughs> but like, these are two of the toughest games, and and now you're behind the eight ball. You're zero and one, and you need a win. Yeah. Imagine if te- something happens and Tech doesn't win either the Duke or the North Carolina game. You start zero and three. That's a tough hole to dig out of. Yeah, yeah. but at least the ACC is not great. That is no, true. Uh, right. So and it, the schedule is favorable. You're capable of digging yourself out of it. Um, yes. So Duke's the best team in the ACC, or at least it looks like the most they are talented right now. team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, so who's the? Who would you say that? I don't know. I'm not asking who's the sec, number two in the standings right now, but who has looked like the second best team so far? I don't think anybody has. Not really. No. I mean, there are some teams. I think I think North Carolina and Louisville have both looked okay. I think, but, but I mean, Carolina can't play defense. Yeah, they yeah. can't play a lick of the, or they couldn't earlier in the season. So like. And every other team you see like major flaws, I think. So it's going to be about who fixes their flaws between now and the end of the season. Every team's got them. It's about who fixes them. Yeah. And Florida State struggled. We mentioned UVA six and four. And if it weren't for a last ten seconds run to beat Pitt, they'd be five yeah. and five. Yeah. yeah. You, you. I think UVA. I mean, I when in in the preseason poll, I had UVA like six or seventh. Because I did not think UVA was going to be that good. I was high on Syracuse. I thought Syracuse was going to be pretty good. And they, and they drop. They gave up a hundred to Colgate. Yes, yeah. at home. I mean, so and they've they've great. got they've improved since then. But they I mean they got blown up by Villanova, a really good Villanova team last night. They were up at halftime though. They were, you know, but they, but they, they kept it close. But more importantly, I mean, Florida State got blown up by Purdue. I mean, that's a team that they should have hung around with. Well, and, Purdue, Purdue might be the best team in college basketball. I know, right might, but you would still think an up, upper echelon ACC C-C team would like hang around. Yeah, I mean, right. it was almost a twenty. I think it was. It was twenty-one. Yeah, I think was the twenty-point loss. So I mean, there's not. You know, like it's like just when you think Georgia Tech, like Georgia Tech, who won the ACC tournament last year, Georgia Tech has looked okay, but they don't have any good wins. They don't have any bad losses. Yeah, that was fool's goal. Yeah. I, I like, a, I mean, that, but yeah. the is point, Wake Forest the second best? No, team I mean, look, I mean, as far as like how they've looked, maybe what I saw the other day, you can make that. You can make the yeah. argument. I just don't think there's that many good teams in the yeah, ACC. I, I, I think, think I think the quality of basketball in this league, and I, I know. N- nostalgic people would dispute this, but it just—it's just not nearly as good a league as it used to be, in my opinion. It just uh, some of it is maybe that it's more teams, so the talent is more diluted and spread yeah. out. I, I don't know, but I think a lot of it is 
the SEC and the Big Ten just having a lot more money now, and they're just getting better coaches and better players. They decided they want to be good at basketball now, not well, just football. I remember when uh, ACC expansion happened in 2004, that first year Tech was in the ACC. The ACC's media payouts per team was more than any other conference in the country. And since then, it's just been all downhill for us and all uphill yeah. for them as, as, as far as as far as money goes. So um, I, that has to have something to do yeah, with it. Yeah, well, and I think in terms of players, the transfer portal has so much to do with the parity. I mean, you look at Wake Forest, you know, and you said Wake Forest is a bunch of nobodies, but some of those nobodies, Jake LaRavia and right. and and Alondez Williams, or yeah, Alondez Williams, they both transferred in Alondez in the offseason. at Oklahoma. Yeah, so, so these are guys that were – they were okay were, – got players at other teams, but they decided to come to Steve Forbes and Wake Forest. And this was a Wake Forest team that was horrid last year. And now they're probably going to be a mid-tier team in the ACC this year because the rest of the ACC is bad. You look at a team like Notre Dame, who's lost its last two or three games, who I thought was going to be decent this year because they've got a ton of talent returning, a ton of veterans returning, and they added a guy like Paul Atkinson from Yale. And Notre Dame has just been bad. And, and Mike Bryce seems to have lost it. Yeah, I mean, you know, and you've got your Dukes and Carolinas, and they're going to be at the top. And I, I think Hubert Davis trying to figure out how to to coach defense in the ACC as a full time head coach. You know, you said North Carolina play much defense; they, they've shown that. But, um, but I think just in general, you know, teams like three. If you say North Carolina's two teams, three through like twelve, there's so much parity. I think you can say Pitt is the worst team in the ACC. But everybody between that, it's kind of just a toss-up, and and yeah. th- that's why these two games, these three games, especially you know Dayton St. Bonaventure are so crucial because if you can figure out, you can work out the kinks from the Wake Forest game, you can really gain momentum going forward. Because if Virginia Tech wins the next three games and they're three and zero heading into a road game at Duke, you know. That is going to be a, you know a really really big test because this these could be two of the best teams in the in the con- conference this year. Mm-hmm. So I think these that's why that is even more why these next two three games are so crucial is because everybody's trying to figure it out like you said, Chris. Everybody's trying to figure out you know whoever's a, whoever fixes the mistakes best wins. You know is going to be towards the top of the league, and it's coming into the crunch time where. Some teams are going to have more favorable schedules to start December and January, where they don't have to go on the road to Duke and Carolina right. within a week with Christmas in between. Yeah, so don't pay too much attention to the records early because everybody's schedules is going to go yeah. up and down. Yeah, but There's I think the back the the down the back stretch, Tech has a fairly favorable schedule until like mid February. Doesn't get like really really difficult when they've or they've got the the week of Syracuse, UNC, UVA all yeah. at once, which looked. Tougher heading into the uh, yeah. season than it may be now. Yeah, but but the point is, I I think it's uh, these two games are it, it makes it for a very front heavy schedule for Virginia no, Tech. No. Everything else is spread out, and if you can figure out your stuff this week, next week, you're going to be in really good shape going forward. And I think you're going to be in a lot better shape than a lot of the teams in the ACC. Well, let's wrap up basketball talk with this. I think the defensive struggles we saw against Wake Forest may have been just a one-off kind of thing. It's one yeah, of those things where so. you just weren't ready for that game, and hopefully that's worked out tonight. But the offense, I'm not sure it's time to hit the panic button quite yet. But And again, level of competition has a lot to do with this. First five games, Tech was shooting over 50%. 
Last four games, they're shooting 38% from the floor. Is it t- if, if Tech can't figure this out in the next three games, is that time to hit the panic button on the uh, offense? Probably, maybe. Um, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think there have been times where Tech hasn't executed their offense well. I also think there's been times where they just flat missed wide open yep. shots more than they normally would. Yeah. Some of that, like towards the end of like the Xavier game and towards the end of the Memphis game, could be down to fatigue. Like I don't think you can play Kevin Aluma almost 40 minutes a game and expect him yep. to play as well in the last five minutes of a game. Uh, you know, you need to work. You know, try to work your depth a little bit more. Get Ojiako involved a little bit more. Um, maybe maybe Darius Maddox deserves equal minutes as Naheem Aline and Hunter Couture, and that becomes a complete three-man rotation between those two spots with all of them playing equal minutes. And and Mike Young did say that he thinks Maddox will get more minutes moving forward. I think he said he was going to try to give Maddox like 17 to 18 minutes on Tech Talk Live, and I think that's huge going for it. And the Ojiako... You know the Ojako thing. He didn't even play. I mean, Until I the final I, asked, minute. Yeah. I asked Mike Young at, at, about that, and he played two minutes in the loss to Wake Forest. And this is a game where down the stretch, I mean, last like six minutes, Tech is it's it's slipping away and slipping away. But he didn't play against Xavier either, mm-hmm. and so I'm interested to see how Mike Young tweaks the rotation and and gets. David Gasson and and John Ojiako more minutes. Yeah, because it's not like Ojiako was playing bad earlier in the no. season. He looked like a better player. Yeah, so and I think I, I think my, one of the things Mike Young was talking about is is the matchups. And Ojiako is not as fleet footed as Kevin Luma and Justin Mutz are, which you don't not. expect him to. Yeah, but he is a he's gotten a lot better as a defender. Sure, his his feet have gotten better, and he's a rim protector. Mm-hmm. And I think letting Kevin Luma breathe for a good portion of the game, so he's not gassed after 35 minutes. You know, I mean, Kevin Luma, his stamina is, you know, not bad. It's pretty good, but but you can't play him 40 minutes every single game without subbing him out. Yeah, and I think a question or a player that a lot of people are going to be looking at this week, Storm Murphy, last yeah. four games, 20% from the field, one of 12 from three-point range. Yeah, and, you know, he's taken a couple of ill-advised shots there, for, but for the most part, he's missed open looks. Yeah. And open looks are the same in the ACC and the Southern Conference. Yeah. And the basketball is the same, same size. size. And, so and is the, the same length of, you know, so <laughs> I, I think he'll be okay from a shooting aspect. And I don't it, worry about that too much. And yeah. he had those six turnovers against Memphis. He's cleaned yeah. that up only two in the last three games right. since. So, yeah. so that, that, that's much improved. Um, I mean, I think Tech has bigger issues than, than, than Storm Murphy. Yeah. Um, like, think about it. Like, so yeah, he hasn't been scoring much, but like, so – but Kevin Loom and Justin Mutz have been right. Right, Mutz thirty-one points in the last two games. Right, so you, you let's say let's say let's say you replace Storm Murphy with Wabi Sabidi in the last game. Okay, Wabi Sabidi's not going to score either. Yeah, he, he might did, play a little better defense. So maybe so, a little so better defense, but most of their most of the defensive issues were on the inside yes, and yeah. not on the outside. So same result. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think a lot of what was going on with Murphy was confidence. I mean that that's just what it looked like. Right. Um where he's he and that's what Mike Young said, where he felt like he had to do everything. He had to prove that he belonged in the ACC. And I think he settled down a lot after you said that Memphis win only three turn two turnovers in the last three games. Yes. I mean, that is huge. He's taking care of the ball and I, I think the shot will come. Um, you know, I think the three man rotation between Maddox, Couture and, and Aline is is very interesting to watch because um, Aline and, and Couture 
neither one of them had a great game against Wake Forest, but for the most part, they are usually at least one of the two is on every game. Interior, I think there were just some defensive lapses, and that's why I'm I'm not going to completely judge Tech off that game. I'm once Tech plays these next two games, you know they've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from the Dayton game to the St. Bonaventure game to regroup. After these next two games, I'm interested to see you know how Tech stacks up defensively now, how the rotation looks, how the the, the trends are going in terms of you know how guys are shooting and and how guys are performing confidence wise because I think there were some routine plays that I thought Justin Mutz would have made in in that Wake Forest game he just didn't make mm. like he just got caught ball watching yeah. and, yeah, and a backdoor cut and it's like Justin Mutz doesn't do that right. so I, I'm curious but in general Storm Murphy I think he's gotten a lot better and if he can continue on the trajectory that he's been on yeah because he made. He had what seven points in in the last game? I think he made. I know he, he made, made at least one shots, three. Yeah. I think that's the only three he's made uh, in the last four games. Yeah, and and I could tell. You know, he kind of skipped down the court a little bit afterwards, and I, I could tell. I think he just needs to make a shot or two. You and to see one go down. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's. I mean, it's the same I, thing with any shooter. I think. Aluma needs to do better because so many teams are guarding him one on one. Yeah, yeah. And he's the you know he was a first team All ACC player. Yep. He shouldn't be able to guard him one-on-one, right? But they are successfully guarding him one-on-one. If he can play better against those one-on-one schemes and make Force more people doubles. help against him, yeah. then I yeah. think the ball starts moving better and the and the offense starts looking better as a result. Yeah, I agree. Because there, there were a lot of times, especially against Wake Forest, where it was just him up against Dallas Walton or Kadeem C, yeah. and he got the ball and he turns and tries a, a hook shot, one that he usually can get to go down, and it just wasn't going down. Yeah. And if he can get that to go down – Coaches are going to have to draw a double team. Like you said, it's going to open up a lot of opportunities because, you know, I think it goes back to what Mike Young said. These are not – the guys haven't been taking necessarily bad shots. Just hasn't been going down. But if you give them an extra second or two to shoot the ball where they don't have a guy in their face, I think it goes a long way. And I think tonight maybe a confidence booster for the Hokies. Hopefully if they can start to figure out those little lapses they had defensively and maybe start to make some shots against a Cornell team that isn't fantastic uh, on the defensive side, more of an offensive-minded team. With that, we're running a little long. Let's check in with Katie in the YouTube chat, maybe get one or two questions here. Yeah, we'll do one. Um, this is a football question from Elijah Sargent. How bad is the offensive situation? Minus quarterback, is it a complete rebuild, or is there enough pieces to sell the young talent to an offensive coordinator? I mean, I think you with the, with the transfer portal these days, I mean, you can become a better team a lot quicker than, than you would otherwise. Um, Virginia Tech potentially bring in, you know, a transfer wide receiver or two. Yeah. Um, a transfer tight end, and you know if they feel the need to have a transfer quarterback uh, and, and be a lot better, just like that. I think the offensive line, even though they lost a lot of key pieces, I, I do feel like they bring back a good core in Clements and and Caden Moore. I mean, I assume Raheem Blackshear is going to play another year. He didn't go through senior day. Yeah. He hasn't announced that he's entering the portal or anything like that. So I'm thinking he's going to play another year, but I don't know it for a fact. That's a darn nice piece to to build an offense around. And you, so, ho- and you hope the next offensive coordinator will get him over the 1,000-yard well, ball. Yeah, and, um, well, and you have Malachi Thomas hopefully coming right, back hopefully, too. Uh, hopefully one that has hit the weight room in the offseason <laughs> so he can be a little more durable. I can say that for a lot of people. But anyway, <laughs> uh, 
I don't. I, I think it depends on who you can pull in from the portal. I yeah. mean, I think it's a rebuild job to a certain extent, but like with just the players in the program right now and the incoming freshmen, then it's a major rebuild job. Yeah. Um, you you could plug some gaps with some portal guys and then do your rebuilding behind the scene and still put sort of like a competent, halfway decent product on, on the field. But, uh, you know, Virginia Tech did not hire Brent Pry for the 2022 season. I yeah. mean, they, they hired him for the, the long term. term. So I'm not going to judge him this year. I'm, I'm going to judge him on like uh, – was decision making as far as like staff and types of players he recruits and and things like that. But uh, he is going to take. It might take a while for him to put his stamp on the program because I, I think a lot. I mean, we talk about culture and everything like that. I mean, I, I think I think some guys are in for a shock as far as like the stuff that's going to be required of them now as football players, as opposed to. What uh, was not required before? I mean, we heard a story about a, a guy who in the program who ended up entering the, the transfer portal and actually ended up transferring to one of the worst programs in the country. But uh, Daryl, tr- he showed up late for something one day, whether it was a meeting, yeah. a weight room session or something. And Daryl Tapp disciplined him for being late. And the guy was surprised and offended at being disciplined because nobody had ever disciplined him before. And that's why Tech went 6-6 six and six this year. And that's why they went 5-6 and six last year. Not because of what they did on third down and what play call they did. It's because they didn't have any discipline or toughness like that in their program. It wasn't run the right way behind the scenes. And so, I mean, I, I think you're going to see more guys hit the portal throughout the course of this first six months of this coming year. Uh, they're not having any interaction with Brent Pry right now. He's out on the road recruiting, and they're about to go home for Christmas, and they're not going to be back till mid-January. So they're going to spend three or four months with him and a new staff, and they're going to figure out, whoa, uh, this isn't quite like it was before. So listen, and I don't mean this in the wrong way, but there are going to be some guys that wash out of this program as a result. Yeah, yeah. And you have to accept that as a fan because – that means the foundation is it, it, it's is, being, is being built stronger. Yeah. So it's it's like whenever you rub disinfectant on a cut, it burns at first, right? But it's for the best. Yeah, yeah I I think to answer your question, Katie, I think in general it won't be obvious whether it's a complete rebuild, like how big the rebuild is, until you look at the depth chart heading into fall camp next year, yeah. because there are going to be so many players that that transfer in and transfer out. You know, I mean, Brent, we, we talked with Brent Pry after his introductory press conference and asked him, you know, what's the quick fix? He was like, transfer portal, you know, and every, but everybody's getting the, going to the transfer portal. And with the amount of coaches that are going places, I mean, you're going to see players going left and right. I mean, Clemson could be without um, both coordinators, both it's, Offensive and defensive coordinator. Billy Napier is cleaning house from their recruiting class so far, right? Yeah, yeah. Say, he was saying they may not recruit any four and five star guys. Oh uh, yeah, huh? I'm sure Florida fans <laughs> really love to hear that. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah. But anyway, he's weeding guys out of that class he doesn't think are fits. Yeah, yeah. What he's doing. So I think in terms of recruiting, there's going to be a lot of changes, especially with like you said, the culture that's being built. You know, I'm I'm not sure if if there are some other kids that that commit to Virginia Tech and then leave. I'm, it wouldn't come as a shock to me just because they committed to one regime and then the culture is so much different that they decommit or go somewhere else. But I, I think just in general, you won't be able to judge the team as a whole until midsummer, late summer, early fall, just because 
I don't think they're going to have all of the pieces yeah. together yet because, you know, Brent Pry's not going to be able to get all of his guys. And you might be able to judge them at the beginning of the summer, but, but I mean, there's going to be, like you said, there's probably going to be guys that, are tra- that transfer out in mid-June. Get your transfers out of the way early yeah. instead of in the after the third year, yeah. like Fuente. Yeah. Like, uh, I think Fuente's tenure would have gotten out, gone so much better if some of those discontent guys left immediately it left immediately and i think it just became a toxic toxic yeah. toxic atmosphere behind the scenes and yeah. i think he just got softer on those guys as a result of it and that's really when tech's player development really dropped off i, I think um so i, I if, if we got to be bad this year to be good two or three four so years from now so be it i'll accept it <laughs> and I, with, I just want the foundation built the right way i don't want any half measures and what stands out to me is what brent price said in his introductory press conference you know we want to keep this recruiting class intact we want to keep the guys that are here but if they don't want to be here if they want to go somewhere yeah. else we're yeah. going to respect that sure because he's going to try to build a culture of guys that want that fit what you know as Buzz Williams always said, they're OKGs. They're our kind of guys. Yeah. Going to be people yeah. that going to be people that fit the culture. Yeah. It's not going to be people that that don't want that when when a coach disciplines I, them, they I, just turn their I, head I'll, and go. What I'll, the heck was I'll say this: there, there's one or two guys in the bottom half of Tech's class in terms of the rankings that I would really be hurt if they decommitted. There's one or two guys in the top half that if they did decide to decommit. It would hurt us in the rankings, and fans would hate that. But I, I really wouldn't care because yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't quite like them as much as, as some of the, the lower guys in the in the class. And I think re- recruiting is important and all that. But I think you know Virginia Tech right now we we have more of a culture problem and and a buy-in and accountability problem that has to be fixed more so than you know what decimal point is at the end of somebody's recruiting <laughs> ranking. You know, I think that's silly. Well, another great question there. Thank you to everybody in the YouTube chat. Wish we could get to more, but we are running up on an hour 45 on this one. Uh, it seems like the ones that I think are going to go the shortest end up going the longest. I, I would have assumed, judging from the topics today, that we would have been done in like an hour and 15 minutes. Yes, that was my thought too, but great conversation about football and basketball. Thank you, Katie, for sorting through those for us as well. That'll wrap up episode 215 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Again, on Wednesday, I love having both of you here. What's coming up on TechSideline.com over the next couple of days? Um, I will. I haven't been able to get really start working on it yet, but I'll do my inside the numbers on the defense tomorrow. And you know, you just monitor the coaching search on a day by day basis, and uh, as far as assistants go, and can't really say exactly what's going to come up on TSL because we don't know what's going to get announced, yeah. when it's going to get announced. Yeah, there there are rumors. I've heard a ton of rumors that, um, you know about about assistant coaches, offensive coaches being hired. Um, you know, you guys mentioned Alex Orgy earlier in the show. That there's going to be a lot of players that, that visit this weekend, so you might have some commitment, you know, some some decommitments or some new commitments on, of kids that visit. Yep. I will be at Dayton on Sunday and at the game tonight, so I'll have basketball recaps. Chris Hirons will have a, a recap of the women's game on, on Sunday. But just in general – this kind of thing is uh, it's interesting because you don't know when a coaching hire is going to be announced. Change on a daily basis. Like, plans. like I had heard yesterday at about noon that uh, that Chris Marv was going to be the uh, the new defensive coordinator. <laughs> so I spent the next couple hours writing it up. At three thirty, I found out. All right, it's going to be announced at four. And so I was like, all right. So I, I mean, I had my story done by yeah. then. I let Will look at it. Um, but like that's something like day of you find out, I might find out. Okay, it's sure. happening. So. 
it's a very f- uh, fluid process. You're so find out something on Sunday when you're driving to Dayton. Yeah, Saturday, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess what we should tell listeners is check techsideline.com every day. Subscribe. Subscribe. Again, student subscription's free. Monthly subscription, your first month is free. And just keep checking it because anytime there's news, it'll be up on techsideline.com. Yeah, and make sure to follow social media too. Yes, follow social media at techsideline and we'll go through all of your social media tags <laughs> right now. Uh, I want to thank everybody for watching and listening here to episode 215. Thank you to Will Stewart who was on for the first half of the show talking about the football year and also the news with the coaching staff and some of the players. You can find him at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman, our only guy who was here the whole show on set. Uh, so Besides thanks. you. Besides me, I'm Katie, yes, well, <laughs> and Malcolm. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, among our two analysts here, uh, but Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist, TechSideline.com at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. David, our plug-and-play sub for the second straight week, basketball guy. Yes, exactly. Our basketball expert at the Real D Cunna on Twitter, managing editor for TechSideline.com. Once again, Katie Adams always does a great job in the fourth chair, her segment in the middle, and then going through our YouTube chat. Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, hanging in with us. Uh, behind the scenes, our best producer in the land. I'm your host, Jake Lyman, signing off. That does it for episode 215 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Enjoy the game tonight, Hokies fans. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you next week.